Now we make our way back to Froxbury Mansions, where Rumpole is more than a little preoccupied by thoughts of young Philida, and he and Hilda have a difference of opinion in the bedroom. Rumpole and the Sleeping Partners by John Mortimer, adapted by Richard Stoneman, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. As Horace Rumpole. Perhaps you should sleep elsewhere tonight, Rumpole. Oh, I intend to. What, why are you putting your jacket back on? Where are you going, Rumpole? <laughs> Rumpole. Rumpole. And without the money for a hotel room, I made my way towards the only comfortable sofa I knew in central London. Good Lord, Rumpole. Oh. What on earth are you doing in chambers at this time of night? Well, I'm, I'm back in court tomorrow. I thought I'd better review the evidence. By the way, what do you think of that new girl, uh, Philida Thingamay? A Philida Trant. In Belmont is a lady richly left, and she is fair, and fairer than that word, of wondrous virtues. As you like it. The Merchant of Venice. Again. I think you're obsessed with Portia. I think perhaps he was right. Mr. Rumpole, good evening. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I I had no idea you'd still be here. Oh, there are so many cases with implications for Izzy, and whoever told her the name of Mr. X. We both know who that was, don't we? Do we? Stop working now. Go home. Go to bed. What will you do by yourself? I will enjoy being by myself. It's none of my business, I'm sure. But is there some reason you're not at home with your wife? It, it is indeed none of your business, and there is indeed a reason I'm not with my wife. Will you protect me from the law? I'll, I'll do my very, very best. <clears throat> now, here, let me uh, help you on with your coat. Oh, you're awfully kind. There, just pull up the collar. Thank you. Are you quite sure you meant to do that? Do you wish I hadn't? I only came here to get some sleep on 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 the sofa. You do look very tired. Perhaps you should sit. Perhaps I should. Will you join me? I feel guilty. You've done nothing wrong. Not yet. There was no doubt I'd made a mistake, both professional and personal, by sharing my sofa with the beautiful young Philida Trent, the Portia of our chambers. The following day, I'd returned to Froxbury Mansions with my tail between my legs, as it were. And he spent all day trying to get his balls into the waste paper basket oh. in the clerk's room. <laughs> Rumpole, really? 
what's wrong now, Hilda? I don't think the learned judge wants to hear about your colleagues in chambers. When Daddy was in charge of equity court, he'd never have allowed anyone to waste their time practicing golf strokes. Oh, of course. Your father was C.H. Uh, Whiston, was he not? Oh, how clever of you to remember, my lord. Ah, uh, no, no. I keep asking you to call me Selwyn. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> Absolutely, dear lady. Oh, your glass is empty. There was something strangely confusing about the sight of Mr. Justice Gwent Evans refreshing the glass of She Who Must Be Obeyed in the Savoy Hotel. Was it because I was used to seeing ushers and clerks waiting on him at the Old Bailey? Maybe. But here, at the Scales of Justice annual dinner, his wig was off and he was letting his hair down. What little remained. Your glass is also empty, Rumpole. Yes. But I think you've had enough. More than enough. I'll be the judge of that, my lord. Or may I also call you Selwyn? Hmm? You may not. Aren't you going to join me in one last drink, Selwyn? No, it's getting late. I hate to break up such an extraordinarily enjoyable evening, but... Uh... The learned judge is looking at the time. I well remember when old judge Quinton Starkey at Inner London Sessions looked at the time. It was during an indecent assault. Oh sort of thing that always went on in the cinemas around Bethnal Green. Yeah. This girl was giving evidence. So he put his hand up, Musker, your honour, this bloke sitting next to me in the one and nines. Oh. Put his hand up your skirt. Well, I suggest we leave it there until ten past two. <laughs> of course, they don't have them nowadays. Uh, indecent assaults in cinemas? Uh, yes, they do. Just the other day in Uxbridge. No, I mean the one and nines. Stalls are much more expensive these days, so I'm told. Perhaps you're right, my lord. But still, it's not a bad story, eh? <laughs> Very pleased to meet you, dear lady. <laughs> Quite delightful. And I hope to see you again. Very soon. Oh, yes, indeed. Selwyn. God, he's gone. I can have another drink now. You have embarrassed me yet again, Rumpel. And you're spilling that wine. Oh, whoopsie. Should I throw some salt on this shirt, do you think? What I think, Rumpole, is that you should take me home. Now. The journey to the cloakroom, the long wait for a taxi outside, and the drive along the Strand were all peppered with complaints about my behaviour. Oh, telling that disgusting story about the girl in the Odeon. It wasn't the Odeon. It was the Regal Cinema, Bethnal Green. And you told it for the hundredth time. Oh, old jokes are always welcome, like old poetry, old wine, old... The judge didn't know where to look. Mr. Justice Gwent Evans is the biggest bore since Harold Macmillan. He has as many laughs in him as a post-mortem. He was a perfect gentleman, which is more than can be said for you, Rumpole. You made a fine fool of yourself tonight. Oh, did I? Did I really? Oh, well, in that case... What on earth are you doing? Saying goodnight, Hilda. In fact, saying goodbye. Rumpole? Rumpole! I walked away from the taxi across St James's Park and never for one moment turned back. That's it. All over. As I strode past the sleeping pelicans towards Big Ben and shivered in the night air, I began to consider the question of lodgings for the night. Back to the Strand, I think. <laughs> At first, in my enthusiasm, I thought of the Savoy. Or perhaps somewhere a little cheaper. 
I soon remembered the state of my bank account. <sighs> Somewhere free of charge, even. And turned my footsteps towards Equity Court in the Temple, London, EC4. Uh, to Chambers. As I walked, I repeated some lines by Percy Bysshe Shelley, who had many telling phrases on the subject of marriage. Or the beaten road, as he called it. Which those poor slaves with weary footsteps tread, who travel to their home among the dead by the broad highway of the world, and so, with one chained friend, perhaps a jealous foe, the dreariest and the longest journey go. Rumpole! Oh, ah. What on earth are you doing in chambers at this ungodly hour? Oh, Miskin Brown. Is it late? I hadn't realised. It's gone midnight. Are you drunk? I could be drunker. But you've been dining out. Oh, do the white tie and tails give me away? Well, I'm not sure I'd call that white, exactly. Oh, oh yes. A slight spillage of rather decent burgundy. Well, I just want to take it off now. Mr. Rumpole. Miss Trent. What on earth are you doing in chambers at this ungodly hour? Hmm? Phyllis and Trent look tired, dishevelled and rather embarrassed. Well, actually... Actually, Rumpole... I've borrowed your pupil, I hope you don't mind. That rather depends on the purpose for which you borrowed my pupil. Mr Erskine Brown needs help with an important and rather complex brief. Since you've given me nothing to do for some weeks now, I thought I ought to assist someone with their work. Well, that's all well and good, but it so happens I too require help with an important and rather complex brief. Well, not tonight. Yes, tonight. Well, why else would I be here? I'm in court tomorrow morning with a complicated fraud. I'll see your complicated fraud and raise you an attempted murder. I do believe he's trumped you. Mm-hmm. Oh, very well. I'll try to make progress on my own. But if I require further assistance, I'll come to claim her back. Oh, thanks for the warning. We'll lock the door. It was just my luck to find Chambers a hive of activity when all I wanted was to avoid my colleagues and get my head down. Miss Trant and I retired to my room, but not wanting to appear suspicious, I didn't lock the door. But I did close it firmly, so we could talk without being overheard. Is it true? I'm sorry? Do you really have an attempted murder? Why would I lie? I thought perhaps it was an excuse to get me away from Mr Erskine Brown. You don't look very well. That's because I'm not... I think... What does it matter what I think? You you seem a little on edge. Is everything all right? Please don't pretend you care how I'm feeling. Now, if I'd wanted this kind of conversation, I could have gone home. I'm sure that's where you'd rather be. At home with your wife. I thought we'd settled this business. This business, Mr Rumpole. If you mean what happened in here between the two of us... Let's not discuss it again. One brief conversation six weeks ago is quite sufficient, is it? I pleaded guilty, I apologised, I cited various personal circumstances in mitigation. Those personal circumstances being an argument with Mrs Rumpole and a vague feeling of self-pity. Which quickly turned into self-loathing. And you mustn't forget I'd consumed a fair amount of alcohol. Much like tonight. Yes. And you've had another argument with Mrs Rumpole? Yes. Which is why you're here, to sleep on your sofa. Actually, 
No, I genuinely do need to review the brief for this attempted murder of mine. Um, will you help me? Who's your client? Uh, Mr. Hugo Lutterworth, a co-owner of a firm selling plants, flowers, deck chairs and gazebos to the good people of Worsfield. Where? A pretty little town, 50 miles to the west of London. Who allegedly did he try to murder? His business partner, Captain Arnold Gleeson, ex-army, ex-golf club secretary, very nearly ex-husband of Mrs. Amanda Gleeson. When you say very nearly ex-husband... Well, look here, in the sense that he nearly lost his life in a car crash caused, allegedly, by Hugo Lutterworth. And he nearly lost his wife because Hugo was having an affair with Mrs. Gleeson. He worshipped the woman, and the fact that she was married didn't put him off. Some foolish people can't control their feelings. They know they shouldn't pursue someone forbidden. They know it's wrong. But there's a force beyond their control that draws them towards the object of their irrational desire. I, um... Uh, I, I, I expect you'd like to know more about the car craft? <sighs> someone tampered with the brakes of Captain Gleason's Jaguar, causing him to smash up the front of the vehicle and sustain injuries to his head, face and chest. Serious injuries? Apparently not. Just concussions, scratches and bruising. And the evidence against your client? He was seen by witnesses working on the victim's car, from which all the brake fluid had been drained. Oh. My client refuses to explain or to say anything in court that might implicate Mrs. Amanda Gleason, whom he wants to protect even more than himself. So, the chances of conviction? Even if the prosecution were conducted by a first-year law student with a serious speech impediment, I am very likely to be defeated. I'm sorry. If there's anything I can I'm going do... home now. Would you like to share a cab, Miss Trent? I think perhaps Mr Rumpole might still need... No. Some... No, off you pop. But I thought you needed some help. I'll be fine, thank you. Are you going north, Bernichant? Uh, south, actually, to Balham. Best way to approach Islington, by Balham. Come, we'll leave Rumpole to burn the midnight oil all by himself. If you're sure. Good night, Miss Trent. Good night, Mr Rumpole. As Erskine Brown ushered Miss Trent down the stairs, I turned my sofa into a bed for the night. Did I tell you about the new recording of Tanvoys that I just purchased? The Olympic Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Herbert von Karajan. That sounds intriguing. Yes. Yeah. For a moment I thought about telephoning she who must be obeyed to inform her of my whereabouts. I wonder if... No, perhaps not. But then I convinced myself she had no interest in my well-being or location. And of more concern to me at that moment was the relationship, both professional and personal, which I had with the beautiful young Philida Trent, the Porsche of our chambers. Oh, God. Stupid, stupid, stupid. There was no doubt I'd made a mistake, both professional and personal, by sharing my sofa with her after my successful defence of Mr Napier Lee. Did I regret the assignation? I'm not sure. Did I resent Erskine Brown's unsubtle pursuit of my pupil? Absolutely. 
As I settled down under my old tartan blanket and adjusted the stained corduroy cushions, my head was spinning with contradictory emotions. And burgundy. I told you not to hold my hand in public. Oh, it's impossible, Jesus. You must try, Claude. You really must. What? What? Where? Really? What? Who's that? Uh, oh, what the hell's going on? <clears throat> I'm so sorry, Mr. Rumpole. Hmm? The hat stand fell over. All by itself. Well, I suppose we... Uh, I must have um, bashed into it uh, by accident. Mm, what's the time? Half past seven. Half past seven? Why are you here so early? Well, I could ask you the same question. Why are you both here so early? You can't ask me that. Well, as a matter of fact... We bumped into each other on the district line. But you normally travel up the northern line to Charing Cross, and then you walk. Today... Today, I changed at Embankment and um, joined the eastbound district line to Temple. And I uh, just happened to be on the same train. How very coincidental. Well, never mind our travel arrangements. Did you spend the night in Chambers? What if I did? The lease specifies that this building should be used for business purposes only, not for any form of domestic life. Did you sleep in your room, yes or no? Well, that's your idea of piercing cross-examination. I pity your next client. Mind you, I pity every client who relies on you for their liberty. Just answer the question. Are you guilty or not guilty? You should know by now that I never plead guilty. Oh. Well, where are they? Rumpole! Rumpole! Please, Claude, leave him alone. There's clearly something wrong. The Porsche of our chambers was right. There was something wrong. Not only did I feel as if an axe had been embedded in my skull, my heart felt peculiar. Was it merely the arrhythmic beating of a diseased organ? Or was I experiencing a visit from the green-eyed monster? It was obvious Miss Trant had embarked on an affair with Erskine Brown. But what right did I have to pass judgment or feel any kind of emotion? Least of all jealousy. <laughs> It's the old, old story. A pretty young wife, married to an elderly husband who had perhaps lost some of his charm over the years. So she allowed herself to drift into a love affair with her husband's business partner, mm. a physically more attractive young man, Hugo Lutterworth. Your client, Mr. Rumpole. Mm. Yes, I am aware of the dramatis personae in my case, Miss Trant. Oh. Mm. Goodness, I didn't think you'd polish that off. Hmm. Whatever it was. Pie and mash. You must have been very hungry. Didn't have any breakfast. No time this morning. And no time for a shave. <sighs> didn't have a razor. Back to the brief. And your conclusions? Well, I suppose I'm suggesting as a motive... sex. Actually, more than sex. Selfish possession of another man's wife. Uh, possession? Hugo Lutterworth was not content with having Amanda Gleason as his lover. He wanted her husband out of the way so he didn't have to share her with anyone. 
You think that was selfish? You don't perhaps believe Lutterworth lost control of his emotions? It wasn't a rational decision to kill Captain Gleason, but something he felt he had to do without quite knowing why? Oh, no. Lutterworth knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted his lover and the gardening business all to himself. Mm. With Captain Gleason dead, Lutterworth had sole charge of Mrs. Gleason and the nursery. Mm. Yes, well, what you just said would make an excellent opening speech for the prosecution. Sadly, I'm defending. Will you have some pudding? Uh, oh, no. No, thank you. I don't feel hungry. In fact, I feel rather queasy. The sight of you demolishing that mound of mashed potato, I suppose. Mm, sorry. I think I'll have some treacle tart. Oh. It may be some time before my next square meal. You'll be going home tonight. Uh, I don't see why I should. Won't your wife be worried? Worried that I might turn up, quite possibly. I'm sure she wants you back. A reconciliation would undoubtedly be the best thing for you and her. Unless... Unless? Unless you wanted. No, no, I'm being silly and selfish. Don't listen to me, Mr. Rumpel. I heard her breathe my name. Her bosom heaved. She stepped aside. As conscious of my look, she stepped. Then suddenly, with timorous eye, she fled to me and wept. I'd better get back to Chambers. She half enclosed me with her arms. She pressed me with a mock embrace. And bending back, her head looked up. Goodbye. And gazed upon my face. Goodbye. The great Wordsworth's lines circled my mind as I tried to concentrate on the law for the rest of the day. By close of play, I was unsurprised to have heard nothing from she who must be obeyed. I presumed she'd noticed my absence, but clearly preferred not to acknowledge the vacuum in her life. And so I settled at my desk, fish supper wrapped in newspaper... Now, where did I leave the salt? The Oxford Book of English Verse. My only companion. Oh, yes, perhaps a little vinegar. Mm. Until... I say, Rumpel, what's that dreadful smell? I quickly covered my battered food with my dog-eared companion. <clears throat> Do you mind, Erskine Brown? I'm trying to prepare my attempted murder. By reading poetry and eating fried fish. Mm. There are certain standards in chambers which must be maintained. I heard of a set in Lincoln's Inn where they had trouble with a tenant cooking in his room. He was heating tins of spaghetti on the electric fire. <laughs> Given three months' notice to quit, of course. Of course. Have you moved into this building, Is it be absurd? Is there anything wrong with a fellow exhausted after a long day taking a mouthful of haddock on his way home? But you're not. Not what? Not on your way home. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. <sighs> you're either on your way home or you're not. Or did you make a vague shot at Froxbury Court and somehow miss? No, you're just being silly. I put it to you, Rumpole, you're living in chambers. And I've half a mind to report you to Sam Ballard. Half a mind? Mm, it's a generous estimation. Miss Tramp told me everything. What? She grasped me up? She explained that Hilda's been unkind and you have my sympathy. But you can't stay here. Ballard will have you evicted for breaking the terms of the lease. I wasn't cooking tins of spaghetti. You've imported a package containing fish and chips. I'd say that offence is a great deal worse. If I dispose of this overcooked evidence, will you join me in Pomeroy's for a glass or two of Chateau Thames Embankment? Oh, if it gets you out of this building. But just the one glass. And then? 
And then, home to bed. Claude, that's the most gracious offer I've had in a long time. Thank you. For what? It took a while for Erskine Brown to realise he'd invited me to stay in the spare room of his house in Canterbury Square. But after a bottle of Pomeroy's vin extremely ordinaire and a shared taxi to Islington, he was in no mood to voice further objections. As a reward for his hospitality, I woke early and made us both breakfast. Rumpole. Good morning, Erskine Brown. If you must smoke, at least have the good manners to open a window. Oh, you'll have a fried slice with your bacon and eggs. I'll have toast, marmalade and coffee. That's all I ever have. Mm. But something's on fire! Don't panic. It's, uh, it's just some fat on the grill. Look, I'll, I'll move it into the... Whoopsie. How long exactly will you be staying here, Rumpo? Um... Yes, Mrs. Rumpole. Yes, I'm Phyllida Trant. I expect your husband's mentioned me. No. Oh, um, well, he's my master. At least I'm his pupil, and he's my pupil master at Equity Court, which means... My father was head of your chambers for many, many years, Miss Tramp. It's actually Trant. What do you want? Uh, may I come in? No, you may not. I'm extremely busy. I see. I'm trying to help you and your husband reach some kind of appeasement. I thought you should know that Mr. Rumpole is missing you terribly, and I imagine you're feeling the same. No. I'm sorry. I'm not missing Rumpole at all. And I find it pathetic that he should send his pupil as a go-between to beg me to take him back. Oh, no, 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 it's you not... You tell your master that I'm in no hurry to see him again and am quite content with the current situation. Oh, dear. Of course, at that stage, I had no knowledge of Phila de Trant's well-meant but ill-thought-out visit to Froxbury Court. But the confrontation clearly prompted she who must to send me a note in chambers. Dear Rumpole, I did not appreciate the unwarranted invasion of my privacy by your pupil today. Oh, Kindly desist from wasting her and my time in the future. But I didn't... Would have been a courtesy to warn me of Miss Tramp's visitation. Tramp. Oh. In contrast to your rudeness, I am giving you due notice that I shall see you next week at the Old Bailey. Hmm? Mr Justice Gwent Evans has done me the honour of inviting me to join him on the bench oh, for the case of R. V. Lutterworth. What? I believe you are defending the accused. Oh, no. There is no need for us to speak. Yours sincerely... Elder. Oh, no. I was certainly trying to defend the accused, but he was not making it easy. A fine-featured young man with a glowing halo of fair hair, Hugo Lutterworth resembled a character from a pre-Raphaelite painting. He sat in a cell beneath the old bailey with a frown on his handsome face. 
You haven't met my pupil, Miss Trant. You're not to put Amanda in the witness box. You must leave her alone. Pleased to meet you, too. I won't say anything in court till I know Amanda's safe. Safe? Of course she's safe. You're the one who's going to prison. Was what I thought, but didn't say. It's pretty obvious to all concerned you were having a bit of a walkout with Captain Gleason's wife. I won't deny it, but I can't have her name dragged through the court. I'm afraid the prosecution will be dragging her name every ten minutes or so now. Someone drained the fluid from the brakes of Gleason's car. Was that someone you, Mr. Lutterworth? Is Amanda here? I believe she'll be watching from the public gallery. Is she all right? Of course she's all right. No one tampered with her brakes. Will you please answer my question? I, I, I can't. I don't want to say anything until I know that Amanda's safe. Do you understand? No, Mr. Lutterworth. I'm not sure that I do. As we waited in court number five for the judge to finish his mid-morning coffee break, Miss Trant tried to help me out. People behave in the most extraordinary ways when they're in love, Mr. Rumpole. Do they? Surely you remember. Um... Rumpel! Rumpel! Isn't that your wife on the bench? Is it? I was trying not to notice. She's wiggling a finger at you. Yes. I think she wants a word. Yes. Well, then? <sighs> it won't be long. I hope... I thought we didn't have to speak, Hilda. We don't. And when Selwyn returns from his chambers, we won't. But I want to make certain you noticed. Notice what? So, you didn't notice. Didn't notice what? I realised you weren't concentrating when you failed to challenge the evidence about the intimate conduct between your client and his so-called lover, Mrs Gleeson. Why bother to challenge Hugo Lutterworth admits he kissed Mrs Gleeson in full view of the workforce? Selwyn was right to say he has a tenuous grasp on morality. Hmm. The judge is suffering from a bad case of premature adjudication. And you're going blind. I beg your pardon? Haven't you noticed the way Mrs Gleeson keeps looking at your client? It's quite an exhibition. Is it? Don't you think she's making her passionate adoration for the young man just a tiny bit too obvious? Surely people will disguise their true feelings, especially in court. In my opinion, Mrs. Gleason's apparent infatuation with your client is nothing more than a sham. A sham? Nothing more. Hmm. Would you like to talk about this over some steak and kidney pudding? No, 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 no. I'm taking luncheon with Selwyn in the judge's dining room. Of course you are. Then I'll go back to... Thank you, Hilda. Interesting. What? I've just had some divine inspiration from she who must... from my wife. Divine? She saw something I completely missed. But you never miss anything, Mr. Rumpole. You flatter me, Miss Trant. I need you to find the original agreement signed by Lutterworth and Gleason when they bought the nursery business in Worsfield. Of course, but why? I want to know the exact terms and conditions of joint ownership between my client and his partner. In the meantime, I have to establish what happened to the victim's car. A dour-faced detective referred to his pocketbook throughout the evidence he gave in the afternoon, and I did my and best I have to no find fault. reason to doubt the thoroughness of the forensic officers. Thank you, Chief Inspector, but you'd agree it's a strange criminal who leaves his dad's... Mr. Lampool! 
who leaves his fingerprints all over the lacerated brake cables of the man he's allegedly tried to kill? It's quite possible, is it not, that your client expected the runaway car to be destroyed by a passing lorry after it crashed on the main road in Westfield, where, conceivably, it could have been eviscerated in a fireball, thus removing all traces of your client's fingerprints. I was cross-examining the chief inspector, not asking for your opinion, my lord. Was what I thought, but didn't say. I'm obliged, my lord. But the car in question trundled 30 yards down a track and bumped into a gatepost. There was never any chance the vehicle was going to reach the main road. Uh, may I confer with my learned pupil for just one moment, my lord? If you must, Mr. Lumpole. I've been through the contract. Here, the relevant bits are underlined in red, with this being the main clause of interest. Do you see? Mm, yes. Yes, I have it. Thank you. Do you need an adjournment, or will you carry straight on? Oh, straight on, I think. My lord, I have no further questions for this witness. I would, however, like to cross-examine Captain Gleeson at the earliest opportunity. Captain Gleeson went into the witness box. A bulky, oafish figure in a double-breasted suit and regimental tie. He seemed such an unlikely consort for the beautiful redhead sitting in the public gallery that it came as no surprise when she hardly gave him a second glance. Her gaze continued to be fixed on the defendant in the dock even as her husband answered the prosecution's questions and those from the learned judge. I had been suspicious of my wife and Hugo for some time. About a year ago, I came back from a regimental dinner in London and discovered them in a, in a compromising position. I decided to forgive them both. I had no idea that my business partner would then try to get rid of me. Am I right in thinking that your wife visited Mr. Lutterworth when he was under remand in prison? I believe she did, my lord. And what is your present attitude towards your marriage? I'm still hoping to, uh, to give it another chance. In spite of an attempt that may or may not have been made on your life? In spite of that, yes. Remarkable. Very gallant on your part, I must say. Ah. Yeah, will you stay there, Captain Gleeson? I'm afraid Mr. Rumpole wishes to ask you some questions. Did my client Hugo Lutterworth look after your car from time to time? Uh, well, now, uh, I suppose, yes, he did, uh, from time to time. He said he didn't trust garages. The day before the, uh, well, let us use a neutral expression, the accident, did you tell Mr. Lutterworth your car was not running smoothly, and did you ask him to take a look at the engine? I can't remember. Can you not? Well, try this. Did Mr. Lutterworth tell you he'd adjusted the points or the plugs? Something of that nature. He, he may have done. So you may have asked him to look at your car. It's possible. I haven't got much of a talent with mechanical objects. Really? Because I see you served with the Royal Army Service Corps during the war. Surely they specialise in transportation. I, I wasn't involved with transportation or vehicles. Uh, I was more on the um, catering side of the corps. Well, I'm sure you were a very gallant caterer. So, Mr. Lutterworth took care of your car? He nearly took care of me on that particular occasion. On that particular occasion? Wouldn't you say he did you an enormous favour? I have no idea what you mean. Neither have I, Mr. Rumpole. What exactly is your point? If you allow me to question the witness, you'll hear my bloody point. Was what I very nearly said. 
I have here a copy of your partnership agreement for the nursery in Worsfield. Looking at paragraph 57A... My lord, I can't see how my partnership agreement can possibly be of any relevance to the attempt on my life. Neither can I. Then let me read out paragraph 57A, my lord. It says here, if either of the said partners shall perform an act which is prejudicial to the interests of the partnership or shall be convicted of a criminal offence... All his rights in the partnership property and income and all other benefits due to him from the said partnership shall revert immediately to the other partner who shall, from the date of the said act or offence, be solely entitled to all the partnership assets. I still don't see your point, Mr. Apple. Then I shall spell it out for the benefit of the whole court, my lord. Two months prior to the accident with the car, Captain Gleason and Mr. Lutterworth were offered a great deal of money for the nursery by a firm who wished to build houses on that land. Captain Gleason wanted to accept the offer. Mr. Lutterworth did not. If Mr. Lutterworth was convicted of a crime, Captain Gleason would own the business by himself and could do what he wanted with the nursery. Oh, well done, Rumpel. Shh! Hilda, please. Sorry, Selwyn, but he is right. I'll be the judge... The jury will decide on that. Uh, Mr. Rumpole, will you please make your suggestion against this witness absolutely clear? With the greatest of pleasure, my lord. Captain Cleason, you needed a way to get Lutterworth out of the partnership. I suspect your wife also wanted to get rid of him. Yes, yes. Don't forget the wife. They had a brief affair, but that was all over, at least so far as she was concerned. You leave a manner out of this! Silence! You knew the terms of the partnership agreement. All you had to do was to stage the attempted murder of yourself and make it look as though Mr. Lutterworth had done it. So, you asked him to look at your engine. But it was you who cut the brake cables. You knew there was little risk of serious injury on the tiny slope at the front of the nursery. You knew you could crash your car quite safely before reaching the main road. You knew exactly what you were doing, as did your wife, with her performance in this court. An apparent infatuation. Nothing more than a sham. I think we'll adjourn now. <clears throat> All rise. So, your client got off. Hmm. He left the court without a blemish on his reputation, much to the fury of Mr Justice Gwent Evans. Excellent news, Rumpel. Now, if you'll just pass me that garlic, you can then bugger off. Ah. Is this feast you're preparing not for the two of us? I'm cooking for someone else. Someone rather special. I see. Oh, stub out your cheroot. Not in the mustard. Mm. And go home, Rumpel. You know you really should. Perhaps. Perhaps you're right. She who must did give me the idea that won the case. I ought to say thank you at the very least. Yes, yes. Go and say thank you. Say anything you like. But please, just go. Good evening, Mr. Rumpole. Young Portia. I take it you're the someone rather special. Is that how Claude referred to me? Your boyfriend, Claude? Is that how you refer to him? I suppose so. He's been so persistent in his wooing. Huh. I had to give in. You must have noticed we've become 
rather close. Yes, yes, I have noticed. And have you noticed anything else about me? Uh, such as? I've been nauseous in your company on a number of occasions. I tried not to take it too personally. You didn't guess that I'm pregnant? No. No, I didn't. Was it, what, what, was it Erskine Brown? I mean, I mean, is Erskine Brown... Is he the father? Let's hope so. You did awfully well today, Mr. Rumpole. In court, I mean. Only with the help of Hilda. She recognised someone pretending to be in love. Some of us were completely fooled, weren't we? Some of us got it badly wrong. Yes. Good night, Mr. Rumpole. Good night, Miss Trant. As I walked home that night, I found myself reciting more Shelley. He would not easily guess all the modes of distress which torture the tenants of earth, and the various evils which, like so many devils, attend the poor souls from their birth. Hilda. Rumpel? I didn't hear the front door. What are you doing here? I came to tell you that we won the case. We won it, you and I. I'm not Daddy's daughter for nothing. Daddy had 45 years at the bar, you know. But I'm giving you, not Daddy, the credit for our victory. I've brought you a geranium, by the way. Hope you like it. Oh, it's, uh, seen better days. <clears throat> You can't just come and go as you please. No, of course I can't. I have a wife and... and a child. I have responsibilities. I think sometimes you forget. Sometimes. Yes, I probably do. A man like Selwyn would never behave like you. Oh, Mr Justice Grant Evans would behave as all men do from time to time. Meaning? Why do you think he invited you to luncheon at the Old Bailey? <laughs> to, to reminisce about Daddy, to hear my thoughts on the state of the legal... No, thing. Hilda, he wants you. He lusts after you. <gasps> he behaved like a gentleman. In the judge's dining room, of course he did. Meet him in the Flamengo Club in Soho, which he frequents every Saturday night, by the way. It'll be a very different story. Oh. Do you really think so? I know so, Hilda. For I, too, am a man. Oh. Take that geranium to the kitchen, will you? Perhaps we can save it. Worth a try, I suppose. Then just you look after it. Give it some water. Of course, Hilda. Of course. And, as ever, I obeyed her command. In Rumpole and The Sleeping Partners by John Mortimer, Horace Rumpole was played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and Hilda was Jasmine Hyde. 
Judge Quint Evans and Claude Erskine Brown were played by Nigel Anthony. Philida Trent, Cathy Sarah, and Hugo Lutterworth and Captain Gleason were played by Stephen Critchley. Other parts were played by members of the company. Rumpole and the Sleeping Partners was adapted by Richard Stoneman, directed by Marilyn Imrie, and is a Catherine Bailey production for BBC Radio 4.